Hey, I'm Nathan, the online pastor at Parkview, and welcome to Parkview on the Go. If at any point along the way, today or even a month from today, you are ready to take a step toward God, I would love to help you explore what that could look like for you. Just email me at online at parkviewchurch.com and start the conversation. And after all, that's what Parkview is all about. The reason we're here is to help you take steps toward God. In fact, this weekend we celebrate our church's 70th year of helping God's sons and daughters find their way back home. Our methods may have changed, our clothes and style of music may be a little different, but our mission has stayed the same, to reach people with the love of Jesus, raise them to be devoted followers of Jesus, and release them to do God's work in the world. And not only has God been doing his work through Parkview for the last 70 years, he has also been using Pastor Tim, our senior pastor, and his wife Denise for the last 30 years to build up a church that has had and continues to have an enormous local and global impact. The fact that you're listening today is a testament to that. So what's my point? Well, today's service is a celebration of all that God has done and will continue to do through the ministry of Parkview and through Tim and Denise. It's going to be a little bit different, so if you're brand new, let this be a glimpse into the story God is inviting you to be a part of. And if you've been around a little while, I pray that it's an encouragement and a reminder of how good and faithful God is. Enjoy the service. Hey, welcome everybody. Good to have you here. Welcome Homer Glen, New Lenox, Orland Park online. If you're like, what's going on here? Well, we're celebrating some milestones, okay? Um, 30 for me, 70 for the church. And actually, my family and leadership had scheduled the 30th uh, a year ago in late March. <laughs> so uh, that kind of got canceled. So it's actually 31 and some change now, if it matters. And uh, you know, I mean, I have a lot of family participating. Really, the only reason I cared about celebrating 30th anniversary for me is because it made my family come, okay? Because my, fam- my whole family hasn't been in church here at Parkview in probably 10 years. That's what I'm guessing, at a church service together, because they're all involved in ministry in different places. Uh, so the, uh, the dude leading worship was my son-in-law, Tommy Carreras, who grew up here, part of our congregation. You probably didn't even realize it, but Andy was on drums over there. He's the son-in-law that has the new baby, uh, and he is uh, from, they're from California. And uh, my, my son-in-law's father said, I didn't, know Tom, I didn't know Andy could play the drums. I'm like, well, he had to audition for the family. I mean, well, he had to do something, right? And I've even gone so far uh, as to, uh, you guys know you never listen to the announcements when we get to that point. So uh, since my other son-in-law is British, I decided that he's going to do the announcements, and with his accent, maybe you'll pay attention, okay? That's what we're going to do. 
Um, it brings up the weirdness of my calling as a shepherd, okay, in the first place. Because basically the definition of a pastor is a shepherd, and it's not always easy. And uh, as several of the guys said in that, you know, in the shout-outs to me earlier, um, man, this year has been crazy. And all my years of doing ministry have never led through a pandemic. And, and you've never been through a pandemic, and, and, and it was not a great one. So we went literally from let's celebrate Tim and Denise's 30th anniversary to what in the world is my job look like. I mean, really. And then a lot of other stuff happened that divided the country. And I can honestly say that the 30th year of ministry has been the hardest by far. And that's crazy for me to say because we had some really difficult years early on. Um, But the whole world blew up this last year and Christians blew up this year. When I started my ministry, I was thinking about it. I mean, Christians had different ideas on things, but they were in agreement on a lot of things. And the the church wasn't nearly as divided over so many issues as it is today. And do you know why? It's because we had a common enemy, the communists. I miss the communists. I mean, you know, Mikhail Gorbachev, when I started here, Mikhail Gorbachev was the Antichrist. We all knew it. He had that little weird thing on his forehead. It probably was 666. And I really missed the Cold War. That's all I'm saying, because we had a common enemy. And so I don't know if I want to really celebrate 70 years as a church or 30 years of us doing it together or just that we survived the last year. One way or another, it's been a lot harder than we would have imagined. But we did. And there is more. Um, leading sheep is never easy. A sheep is a defenseless creature. That's why uh, sheep need a shepherd, okay? Um, most other animals can be left by themselves for a long period of time, but sheep need constant care and protection. And, and however, as badly as sheep need a shepherd, they hardly ever cooperate with him. They're very rebellious. They are largely untamable. That's why the Bible chose them as a metaphor to personify people. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. So in my position, it's a unique position because I am both a sheep and try to be a shepherd at the same time. This video should really sum the whole thing up as to what it looks like to be a sheep and to lead them. That's my job, okay? I, I mean, isn't that right? I mean, I mean, as one of God's sheep, this is what I keep doing. I'm just going to do this over and over again. This is me, okay? But guess what? It's also you. And we've got to stop jumping in the ditch and start listening to the shepherd. In Matthew, Jesus said, he looked at the crowd and he had compassion on them because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. So that's why we turn to Jesus. And the reason I do what I do is because uh, the prophet Ezekiel, God said, you know, my sheep have wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill, and they were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. And as I came into ministry, I, I, I kind of realized that that was what was going on with the church. So that's my calling. At the same time, you don't celebrate an anniversary for one person if there's an anniversary. You know, like for a couple, if it's a wedding anniversary, it's not just one person. You don't give a party for one spouse and not talk about the other thing. I, I don't think they make an anniversary card that says, congratulations on your anniversary. I don't know how you did it. I mean, if they made that, um, 
you might think that, but it's just not going to work. My parents are down there. They just celebrated 62 years of marriage. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And they're, they're probably wondering right now which person I would give that card to. Congratulations, I can't believe you did it. And the truth is it kind of changes back and forth along the way. But what we know is if there's an anniversary, there are two parties that had to work together to put some work in it. So you got to know that you should feel really proud of making it 31 years with me, okay? I'm clapping for you. You need to bake yourself a gluten-free cake, okay? That's what you need to do. Because honestly, it is no secret that I do not love living in a place where it snows in late April. So why do I live here? Is it the impressive state government? Is it the taxes? Is it the professional sports? No. There was literally something about this match that was made in heaven. We really are soulmates. I'm going to tell you that. I, I oddly told an Uber driver that this week. I mean, I, I, he, he was asking me what I did, and I said, I'm going back. We're doing a 30th anniversary. I, 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 you can't believe how much this place matches up to me. In terms of culture, in terms of leadership, in terms of our staff, and the spirit of God that is upon this place. My wife and I felt so called to this place, I can't even tell you it didn't make a bit of sense to us. Only in a God-calling kind of way. When we came up here to visit, um, we wept. We went to the hotel and we wept that night because, I mean, it it just didn't feel like it's something that we could say no to. We had no family here, no history here. Um, The church wasn't all that attractive. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, Neither was I, okay? I hadn't done this before either. Um, And and, and it was a calling. And and what I really want to say to you, Parkview, is I just can't quit you. But then I'm just going to get more angry emails, and I'm at my quota for the week, so I won't say that. What I would like to say is um, how much this lady down here has meant to this whole thing. Can you come up here? You can bring Maggie if you want. Um, Being a pastor's wife is not something that probably many of you could possibly understand what it is like. Um, it's a, I mean, we live in a fishbowl, and it's a crazy time for all of us. But not only that, not only has she been involved in the ministry all the way through, um, she was on staff for 20 years. And she took our worship department. Everything you see that's on the stage, she took from a, 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 a grassroots little level in a tiny little building up to where it was. And for 20 years, she was our worship programming th- director. And, um, and most importantly, she has supported me and she has supported you, and she loves you. We were talking this week, we were reading through Thessalonians uh, in devotions, and we were reading the beginning passage of that where Paul just gives thanks for the church. And, and we talked about, I mean, we, we literally got choked up just thinking about all the people that, that we love so much in this congregation. So thank her for me, will you? I love you. And you can get Maggie back. Let me tell you the whole story, okay? Let me tell you the whole story. In 1948, 
A couple of ladies, I love that this church was started by a couple of ladies that were together on a train bound for Chicago, and uh, they saw the Tinley Park stop. I think they lived in Juliet, but they saw the Tinley Park stop, and they thought, it'd be cool to have a church there in 48. In 1950, a prayer group was formed, and from that small group, the Tinley Park Church of Christ was born. Here's a picture of the very beginning of our church, and it was started on April 15th, 1951, in a storefront on Oak Park Avenue, and it probably snowed, okay? (laughs) And I don't know why they picked tax day to start this church, but I think that's funny, right? Let's start a nonprofit on tax day. That's what happened. But think about what the world was like in 1951. Gas was 19 cents a gallon. Truman was president. Color TV was just being introduced, and we were in the middle of the Korean War. In 1955, they moved into what I call the Mayberry Church over in Old Tenley. It was a Zion Lutheran Church. It's over by the train station. You can still have weddings in there if you want to. And then in 1977, with a lot of faith, and and they literally built the building themselves, they moved over to 162nd and 84th Avenue. And that's where the church was when my wife and I got here in January of 90. By the way, uh, she went into labor uh, false labor the first night we were here, and I almost didn't get to preach my, my first sermon. With our middle daughter, uh, that was January of 1990. We had an average attendance of about 150 people and some stuff to work out, okay? But what we celebrate today is that a lot of people sacrificed a lot to make this place happen. And I would rather us concentrate and be reminded on the vision that was there in the beginning and drove them to remain faithful in the south suburbs than to talk about my longevity. As Rick Warren says, a great church has a great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment, okay? The great commission is go into all the world and make disciples, and the great commandment is to love your neighbor, love God, and love your neighbor as yourself. And honestly, if there was a problem that existed 31 years ago when we got here, it it was that we were only getting part of this right. We were getting part of the Great Commission and part of the Great Commandment right. We were involved in missions and going into the whole world, uh, but, but we weren't doing very good about the area right around us. We were good at loving God, but we weren't doing very good at loving our neighbor. Literally, one of our early meetings, we had a deacon that said, hey, why don't we put a fence around our property so that the kids don't get in and leave litter laying around? And, and, and to be fair, he was the guy that would usually clean it up. He was a sweet person. But I was like, no, 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 we don't put a fence around. We want people to come home to the Father. And the problem is you can't really love the Father unless you love the kids. And that's been a problem with the church for a long time. When people see, think about Jesus and his love for those who were lost, they see this. They see Jesus on a cross with his arms out saying, I love you, I'm going to die for you. But when people think of the church, the big church, and the love for the people who are on the outside, a lot of times they think of this. They think of somebody standing out saying, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, you shouldn't come here, this is for us. And we had to change that. Because America is the third largest mission field in the world. And, and you got to understand, this year, 2021, is the first time in U.S. history that the majority of people in the U.S. do not claim to be Christian. You can claim or do whatever you want to. It doesn't really doesn't make, make you a Christian. But this is the first time only 47% of people surveyed said that they were Christian. And yet here we are. 
Paul said, the most important thing in my life is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to do, to tell people the good news about God's grace. And I preached at Easter about the fact that it is finished, and it is finished for Jesus, and it is finished for the mission, but it is not finished for our mission. My job is to tell people the good news about God's grace. So it took us a while to figure things out. If you don't know the history of this church, But by 1997, we had 300 or 350 people a weekend, and uh, there was no way we were going to fulfill our mission in 10,000 square feet on two acres, so we voted to relocate, and it barely passed, okay, 56%. There were a lot of people against it because sheep don't like change, you know what I'm saying? They they just like doing this. I'm just going to keep showing it over and over again. But by that time, what, what had changed is we had leadership in place. We had God-honoring elders. I'll never forget the moment when we went together as a group of elders and we said, okay, the congregation just barely passed it. What should we do? And the leadership said, this is our vision. This is where we're going. It doesn't matter. We're doing it. And when God saw that God-honoring leadership and his shepherds were serious, he led us to the corner of 183rd and Wolf Road and the village of Orland loved the idea and helped us develop a plan. There was no Orland Parkway. It was a dirt road back in that time. Jewel Osco hadn't even been built yet. Nothing else was here. The neighbors were happy because this used to be a pig farm, and now it smells better. Okay, that's all I can tell you. And through God's grace and blessing and through the commitment and dedication of our people, we completed phase one of our building plan and moved into our Orland location in the fall of 2002. And it was a big deal, man. We thought, oh, we finally arrived at the promised land, except we doubled in size immediately. And after just a few months in our new building, we realized, and this isn't going to do it, we got to start raising money to build a bigger building. And we quickly became one of the fastest growing churches in America, and we're soon doing five weekend services as we were building the new building. And our worship center that seated 2,000 people opened in March of 2006, and basically what happened was we grew from 600 people to 6,000 people in 10 years. We grew so fast, you guys, that we didn't even think things through, like... (laughs) Like, you couldn't do funerals here in this building, okay? Because it's not easy to have a funeral in a 2,000-seat auditorium, and the only other logical place was for us to go down into the basement into the student auditorium, but we didn't get an elevator big enough for a casket. So we couldn't really stand the caskets up and get them down in, you know, to the basement. So it got kind of awkward. So finally, in 2013, we expanded and built a chapel and some more foyer space so that people could get married and buried here like they ought to in a church, right? We started figuring stuff out. And if you back the story up a little bit, in 2008, a church in Lockport came to us and said, hey, um, we're probably going to close. Do you guys want our building? And that was our first foray in the multi-site. And we had a campus in Lockport that has been a huge part of our mission in figuring out how to do things with not everybody on one site because it just isn't possible anymore. And then in 2015, the Eagle Rock Community Church came to us and asked us if we would be interested in taking over their building, which was nearly new and beautiful on, on the edge of 159th Street. 
And that literally happened. We knew, they, they, we knew it was going to cost us some renovation money. That literally happened in the middle of building the new Linux campus, okay? And, and you want to talk about a couple of times where the leadership took a real leap of faith. It was in 97 when we went ahead, even though half the congregation didn't want us to. And, and it was in, in 15 and 16 when we were building new Linux and taking on another campus at the same time. And of course, we built new Linux and maxed it out immediately upon opening it. And and these are just buildings. They're not really important for more than what we can do in our mission with them. But to me, they show the power of God and the faithfulness of his people. To put it into perspective, Christmas Eve of 2000, this this just continues to blow my mind. Christmas Eve of 2000, we had a little over 800 people and we thought, this is unbelievable. We We could not believe what God had done. But yet, in January of 01, we decided to pray the prayer of Jabez, which is, Lord, enlarge our territory. And we had no idea what we were doing. We had no idea what God was going to do. I still vividly remember thinking, I wonder what this is going to turn out to be. I I hope we, you know, reach more people because I'm going to feel really dumb if we had this whole sermon series on the prayer of Jabez and nothing happens. And there's no possible way we could have imagined what was going to happen. And I did this just a couple of years ago in 18. I started doing the math. I said, okay, if we, if we had 800 in 2000 and we doubled it the next year, like the prayer of Jabez, and we did that 18 years in a row, we would have 28,800 people for Christmas Eve of 2018. And you know what we had? We had 28,838 people on Christmas Eve of 2018. Because... God granted him what he requested because 37 people weren't supposed to come that that year and they showed up anyway. And you know who you are. And and there will be more, okay? It's not about that. I just want to give you a little bit of the picture of what God has done. There will be more. Because, guys, there are 4 million people within a 30-minute drive time of our three campuses. And there's a lot of work left to do. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So, so if that was true in Jesus' day, and many of you have seen my timeline graph, i got to bring it up every once in a while, at least once a year. If that was it, let me, let me just illustrate it this way. Oops, I, it's over there, okay? Here's the world population, okay? Let's just put this graph of 2050, uh, 1950 to 2050 up there. This is our place where we live today, okay? Now, here is the graph of the world population. And do you see what has happened? As a matter of fact, we had to move this a little bit because world population is going crazy as we know. So what I'm saying is that yellow thing that represents my lifetime and your lifetime means that all of these people are here now. And if Jesus said the harvest is plentiful back then 2,000 years ago, what does it mean to us today? And I'm not saying that I'm not going to retire until 2050, okay? But, but I might live that long now that I'm gluten-free, so I, I won't want to, I know that, but I might, okay? So what are we going to do about it? I just want to tell you this up front. We are in the market right now. We're trying to figure out a young teaching pastor to add to our rotation because Todd and I are old, okay? And we just know it, 
And uh, so we're, in, we're trying to hire, it might be from our staff, might not, we don't know, we're trying to add a young teaching pastor to the rotation, 12 to 15 weekends a year, because we need to get younger. But I want to tell you something about that. Don't see that, when this person shows up, don't see that as, oh, well, this must be the next Tim guy. This must be the succession guy. Because... It's not going to be, and they're going to know that. I mean, maybe it will be someday, but we're not done yet, and I want you to understand that, okay? We're going to stay on mission. The Harlows are going to stay on mission, and that's the way that it's going to work. So let me read you a story from, from Luke 15, which is our theme chapter around here as a church. And Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not go... Leave the 99 in the fold and go after the lost lamb until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And they rejoice with him. And I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who don't need to repent. Okay? Some of you have heard that story before, but I wrote it here with three mistakes. Forgive me, but I did it on purpose. And this is important as we understand the mission of the church. Mistake number one, I said he left the sheep in the fold. And the truth of the matter is, it says he left the 99 in the open country. What does that mean for us? That means that the shepherd took a risk leaving those 99 out in the open country, but he was so concerned about the lost one that, that he couldn't let it go, and he left the 99 out there where they were vulnerable, okay? I've had people tell me, you know, Tim, we shouldn't put so much emphasis on reaching out around here. We just need to nurture and spend our time on the people that we already have. And I always say to them, if you were a dad and your kid was lost, is that the way you would feel? And the Bible, it does teach us that we should go and make disciples, not converts, and we should teach them, and we never underestimate that. That's why we do most of the things that we do around here. That's why we have our small groups. That's why we have junior high and senior high in our kids' program. That's why we have Rooted. That's why we're starting Alpha. We're doing all these things so that you can grow in your faith. <coughs> but Jesus is primarily concerned about the sheep that doesn't have any flock. Literally, the shepherd is not as concerned about those who are already saved as he is the ones who are not. Because he's concerned about this one. <laughs> the church is the only institution that exists primarily for those outside of its walls. And I believe that God set up the system so that we grow in our faith as we bring others into the church. But Jesus was clear that his mission was to seek and save that which was lost. That was his purpose, and that is our urgency. I quote this often. C.T. Studd says, Some wish to live within the sound of the chapel bell, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. Our church is a stud church that way. That's who we are. Number, number one was he left them in the fold. No, he didn't. He left them vulnerable because the loss was a priority. Mistake number two was that it was a lamb. You know, you've seen those pictures, right, with Jesus has got the little lamb over his neck and, and he's carrying it back, right? It doesn't say a lamb. It says a sheep. You know what the difference is? About 100 pounds, okay? A sheep, 
<coughs> can weigh up to 250 pounds. So not only did it take effort to go find this stupid, stubborn animal in the first place, it took a great deal of effort to get it back into the flock. It wasn't just some little, oh, I'll go run out and get the little lamb deal. It was a heavy burden for the shepherd. And it's a heavy burden for us. It gets hard going out and picking up those heavy sheep and putting them on our shoulders and bringing them back to the fold. And I could tell you stories. And this shepherd had a huge flock. A normal flock would have only been 30 or 40 sheep. He was overburdened, but he still counted everyone. Every one of them mattered. And when one of them was lost like this, he still brought it home. And what I'm saying is that it took a lot of money and a lot of effort for 70 years so that we could have a place for you, and we're expecting you to pay it forward. I mean, what do you think those ladies were thinking back in 1948 when they had the idea to start this church? It was to reach people for Jesus. And when we came here 31 years ago, the place was stuck, but there were a handful of people that we love so much that still had sight of a mission, that still had sight of what God was going to do. And by the grace of God and by the commitment, I just can't tell you how much I love our elders, our, our, our lay leaders, the people that I've had around me working, as well as the amazing staff that we've had for such a long time. Because of all of them, we were able to concentrate on those who were far from Jesus instead of focusing on ourselves. And thousands have been brought back to Home to the Father, to the shepherd. I, I looked it up this week, and it's been, we've baptized 10,062 people, you guys. 10,062 people. <laughs> we were going to keep track so that I could figure out who number 10,000 was, you know, and give them a t-shirt. But in COVID, we just kind of lost track of it all. So if you were baptized in the last year, give yourself a t-shirt. You were number 10,000. It just, it just happened because a core group of people prayed and led small groups and served and financially sacrificed in order to fulfill the great commission and, and, and the great commandment. And they weren't super Christians. They don't walk on water. They were just ordinary people that God used for his extraordinary purpose, and they were willing to be used. That's the story of 70 years of this place. People who are willing to give up their preferences for the preferences of those who don't know Jesus. People that serve and sacrifice, who took their ordinary talents and deployed them for the kingdom. People who not only tolerated change, but embraced it for the sake of the people on the outside. And you guys, I have no idea what this church looks like in the next 30 years. I didn't have any idea back then either. No matter what it looks like, we're still called to reach, raise, and release. That's our mantra. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a role to play in the Great Commission. Jesus was talking to you, not just me. And if you've been sitting on the sidelines during this past 30 years of history while we've been here, it's time for you to step up and serve. It's time for you to get in a group and grow and help others grow, to pour into the lives of our junior high and high school students, to give of your time and your talent and your treasure. Jesus said your heart will be found sitting right beside the things we treasure. When we treasure the things he treasures, I can tell you life is good. If this last year has taught us anything, it's that we don't know. So we must be concentrating on the right vision. 
Third mistake I made is that the neighbors rejoiced. It says that he asked the neighbors to rejoice, but it doesn't say that they did. And think about this. Normally, a shepherd would corral his sheep at night. So if he found one missing, it was probably like later on. And if he went to go find it, it probably was dark when he got back with the lost sheep. It had to be late when he came back. And I imagine all of his neighbors and his friends were sitting there. Maybe they'd already gone to bed, right? And he comes back and he says, hey, everybody, I found my lost sheep. And I can just imagine someone going, knock it off down there. We're trying to sleep. Or maybe they did rejoice, but this is one thing I do know. And it is that the only ones who did rejoice were the ones who shared the passion of the shepherd. Jesus said, I tell you in the same way that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. If we care about people at all, If we know anything about the mind of God, we will have the same passion that God has, and we will rejoice when the lost ones are found. I ran across this about uh, seven or eight years into ministry here while I was working on my doctoral stuff, and it kind of became my mission piece, because nothing has said what I do ministry for any better than this little poem that was written by one of the guys who founded AA, which is dear to my heart as well. It's called, I Stand by the Door. I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which people walk when they find God. There's no use in my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is a wall where a door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind people with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for people to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing any person can do is take a hold of one of those blind, groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to a person's own touch. People die outside that door as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter. They die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it. They live because they have not found it. So nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find Him. So I stand by the door. Go in, great saints, He says. Go all the way in. Go down into the cavernous cellars and way up into the spacious attics. It is a vast, roomy house, this house where God is. Go into the deepest of hidden casements of withdrawal and silence and sainthood. Some must inhabit those rooms and know the depths and the heights of God and call outside to the rest of us how wonderful it is. Sometimes I take a deeper look in. Sometimes I, take a, I venture farther in. But my place seems to be closer to the opening, so I stand by the door. 
Somebody must be watching for the frightened who seek to sneak out when they came in and tell them how much better it is inside. And the people too far in do not see how near these all are to leaving, preoccupied with the wonder of it all. So somebody must watch for those who have entered the door but would like to run away. So for them too, I stand by the door. I admire the people who go in, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help the people who have not yet found the door or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go in too deeply and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place. Near enough to God to hear Him and know He is there, but not so far from people as to not hear them. And remember that they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them. Millions of them. But more important for me, one of them, two of them, ten of them, whose hands I'm intended to put on the latch. So I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. So I stand by the door. Lord God, I can't tell you how much emotion there is, obviously, for me to see my family back here again, to, to see my parents here and think of the example they left me in ministry and what it looks like to love people into the kingdom and to see my, my girls here with their spouses involved in ministry, and to see my grandkids, to have my grandkids here tearing up my house, just reminding me of that next generation that is gonna come behind us. And as I look out and as I see people who've been with us on a journey, on this journey for 10 years and some for 20 years and some all the way back for 30 years, I am just reminded of how many good things you have done for all of us. Happy anniversary. What an place. incredible feat to be celebrating 70 so years for Parkview and 30 years for Pastor because Tim and Denise. I am so thankful for you guys. I wanted to say thanks for being my second home for the past 10 years. One word I would use to describe Parkview is connection. I feel like I'm growing like a family here. I feel like people here love, care, and cherish me. When I initially went to Parkview, it seemed like a very big church that you might get lost in, but it's not. I really appreciate the heartfelt welcome from the entire congregation that I feel at Parkview Church. During our times of serving together and taking classes and doing studies. It's given me a better understanding about the Bible and it, and it has brought me closer to Christ, which I'm very thankful. Uh, the messages are, are thought-provoking and at the same time truly inspiring. Parkview is just a great place to call home. Um, even though it's such a big, big, big church, it doesn't feel that way, especially if you get involved. I um, just want to thank Parkview for the opportunity for allowing um, my husband and I to lead worship for children and then also having that community. My favorite personal part is the worship. I love the worshiping. Worship um, reminds you that God is big. He is bigger than everything that we are going through. He's bigger than the pandemic. Parkview absolutely means the world to me. Uh, Parkview is always friendly, welcoming. The first time I walked into Parkview was 2007. I was homeless and lost. I kept getting caught in a traffic jam on Wolf Road on Saturday afternoons. I asked somebody what was going on there and they told me it was a rock and roll church. Pastor Tim repelled from the ceiling, landed next to me and gave me a high five. I've been here ever since. 
Thank you, Parkview. Um, happy anniversary, and we love you guys. I love Parkview because it's an easy place to invite my friends to church. I've made lifelong friendships through Parkview and have found an awesome community that's really invested into my life. There is no place like Parkview Christian Church, and we miss you guys and love you guys so much. Love you, Parkview. And whenever I'm in this church, I'm just always overwhelmed by the beauty of the Spirit of the Lord. Parkview is our home. Team Parkview!